What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to episode 144 with my guest, listener Seth. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. An hour or two of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a, not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. That's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. Uh, please go check out the website. All kinds of good stuff there. You can read blogs. You can take surveys. You can see how other people filled out surveys. Um, you can support the show with a donation. You can join the forum, or uh, you can just uh, bring that web page up and uh, just stare at it. Just stare at it and just let your mind wander. Let a good, I don't know, let a good four or five hours go by, and then take a nap. I find that that is a great substitute for going to the gym and working out. There is nothing to be said. Uh, nothing. <laughs> I'm bailing on this bit. <laughs> I'm bailing on it. Oh, I want to read a, a letter that um, I got from a listener named um, Tiffany. And she writes, uh, hi, Paul. Uh, this is in regards to the uh, Erica Rhodes uh, episode. She writes, hi, Paul. Uh, I have bipolar too as well and had hair issues with all the meds. Um, like Erica, I finally got good advice and stopped losing hair. Please let Erica know that daily zinc and selenium supplements negate that side effect. I take each every day with my meds and it works great. Uh, it's the only thing that makes me uh, be able to take meds as bad as it is. I would rather be crazy than bald. Um, and I forwarded that to Erica and she said that the supplements that, uh, that she takes, um, are doing the trick too. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a guy named Crow and about his PTSD. Uh, he writes, if I scream hard enough and long enough, then someone will eventually save me. Uh, same survey filled out by Ruth Ann about her depression. Uh, she says, it feels like a negative filibuster in my head. Exhausting. Um, about her anxiety. 
primal, wordless, instinctual fear, manifesting today by being unable to get out of the car. Uh, she should listen to the Erica Rhodes uh, episode. Uh, Erica also experienced that. Um, mine is much more convenient. Mine is just unable to get out of bed. I don't have to. I don't have to waste any running around to, to where I'm going to be struck. Struck still. Um, and then about grief, uh, which we've never had anybody uh, really describe before. Um, Ruth Ann says, "Pure grief over time is like being homesick." but never getting picked up at the end of the day. Uh, same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself lost in herself about being a sex crime victim. She writes, I feel like a child staring at an image of her adult self without knowing who it is and terrified to find out. And uh, then from Kyle, um, same survey, he writes about his depression uh, a longing for excitement, but a passion for melting into the couch and self-loathing. Oh my God, did that ring my fucking bell. I relate to that so, so much. Um, about his sex addiction, an orgasm makes me feel like I'm in control. And about his codependency, your face reminds me of when I made, uh, of when you made me feel worthy to be alive. Take what you need in exchange for that reminder. I don't want to be alone and dead. And then uh, I want to end it with a uh, happy moment survey filled out by Mike G. And he writes, my six-year-old son just walked out of a birthday party with a balloon. The balloon got away from him and floated away. His friend that was walking with him without a thought handed him her balloon saying, you can have mine. My son said, thank you. And she responded with, I just want you to be happy. The purity of that melted my heart. Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head. Oh, God, it's so embarrassing. I'm afraid I'll never get another job again. That I will die and will have not been special. My brain has the gift of seeing the terrible. A million-pound tourniquet being turned against my chest that was constant. Then I started sabotaging my own career. Wanting to die and... To stop him from feeling any joy. <laughs> that is... Very uncomfortable in my own body. I ended up becoming a male prostitute. And what I became was an animal. They took away my shoelaces. I became chaos. Like it hurts. I just want to go. I just want to leave. You have no idea what a small part of your life this is. If you go to a support group, it's like creating a family that you didn't have. I mean, life is 1% event. My body was abused. 99% judgment about that event. But they couldn't touch the best parts of me. But the world is a little bit wounding. It's also glorious. It does always get better. It really does. I'm here with Seth, who literally just walked in the door. He is uh, he's a listener who I've communicated with uh, via Twitter and a couple of emails back and forth. And um, where do where do we begin? We've talked about music before. You're, yes. you're a musician. Is that is that a hobby or is it a professional? It's thing? getting professional. That's awesome. It, it started out as you know I've been playing guitar for 19 years now. And you're how old? Uh, 29. Wow. Yeah, so I started well. when I was 10. <laughs> And um, what? Oh, I, I love that you have a never not funny uh, T-shirt on. <laughs> I have nothing but podcast T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And we're here at uh, LA Pod Fest. It's the uh, the first night of it. Um, and where where would be a good place to to start with uh, your story and what's going on with you and what you struggle with? Give me some broad strokes of the things that you struggle with. Uh, well, mm, addiction. I've got a I got a, a horribly addictive personality, inherited from the parents. Alcoholism, heart problems, 
from smoking and drinking, doing drugs. And and where are you in those things right now? Uh, just got to my five years of no meth, uh, September 15th. Congratulations. And forgot, which made it, made it like an even better day that I was like, oh, I just, my sober day just went by. <laughs> my sober, I shouldn't say sober. That's not the right word. Why is that? Well, because I still, I drink. Oh, okay. You know, uh, socially. Really? So yeah. that's that's not an issue? Because it's pretty rare that I meet somebody who puts down one addiction and uh, is able to handle another substance non-addictively. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I started getting bad with the drinking for about a month. It was, it was about a month of every day, having a drink every single day by myself. And then uh, I went from that to finally saying, cut it out, and then I quit drinking for th- three months, then went to a party and had some fun. It's, it's all casual. Yeah. We, we just played uh, Cards Against Humanity last night with drinks and everything like that. We're, there's five of us in one room. Yeah. So yeah, it's already been a blast here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean at the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We we all got in last night. Oh, so. cool. Yeah. We all we all meet up. We're we're all fans of uh, Walk in the Room. Yeah. Yeah. We're all cuddlers. <laughs> an, an awesome podcast, and probably the tightest community of listeners that I've ever seen. We literally make this our con to see each other once a year. It's not unlike Deadheads or Fish fans. I know, and they start. I, I had a friend of mine say, "You guys are like fucking juggalos." I'm like, "You go fuck yourself." <laughs> by the way, uh, if I can plug a great book by a former um, guest on the show, um, his his name is uh, Nathan Rabin. He was a former head writer for the uh, Onion AV Club, and he has a great book. And the fucking name escapes me right now, but I read it, and it's great. He follows fish and juggalos for an entire summer. Oh, what is that called? I just heard about that I too. Oh, I know. Uh, I, I apologize, Nathan, if you're if you're listening. But if you just Google um, <laughs> Nathan Rabin uh, Juggalos Fish, uh, <laughs> it'll it'll come up. But it's a great book, and he he approached the thing with such uh, an open mind and an open heart. It's um, I think if you're a listener to this podcast, or just a you know uh, somebody who's interested in in uh, music. And fans, you'll you'll find it to be an interesting uh, read, and it all kind of coincides too with him um, having like a meltdown in the in the middle of all of it. But it's 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 a great book. So, um, so you're a, uh, a walking the room fan, which I am as, yes. uh, as well. Oh yeah, it's, I've heard you on there. You're always fantastic. Yeah. Oh thanks. I, I just didn't. I just love what those what those guys do. They're so funny and they're so honest. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, so, can I ask you? Have you ever been to a support group for your your meth uh, addiction? No, no. Uh, it's basically it was me moving away from my dealers. I was living with my dealer. And, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll awesome to, and horrifying at the same time. It, it, it gets worse. We'll get to it. Yeah, it gets, it gets even well, more. Crazy. Let's get low. Let's get to it right now. Oh, let's let's see. I, I'm trying to think of where to start. Trying to be chronologically. I talk a lot. I have a hor. I that was. I wanted to start with one quick fear. I'm afraid I'm going to talk way too much. Get off track because my brain. It's like there's a dead hamster in there, but that fucking wheel is spinning way yeah. too fast. That's addiction, man. Yeah, that's that's. It really the is. Like, like I said, I I smoke cigarettes and I drink. Yeah. And cigarettes has been the hardest to stop. I stopped for three days and was vomiting and crying, and like I can't. I, but I, when I quit meth, it was easy because I wanted to. But what you know, the first thought that strikes me is, what are you doing to deal with the anxiety and the fear, and the discomfort in your skin that is what drives the 
the addictions. You know, that's the gasoline, in yeah, my opinion. That's the is. gasoline it the is. addictions run on. So what are you doing? Are you doing anything other than just kind of white knuckling it? Uh, just listening to, to podcast music. I've always got ed- headphones in like most of my life now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I work. I work two jobs. And uh, I work 14 days and then get two off. And what's the the job? Uh, one is a night clerk at a hotel, five days a week. I've been doing that for that's, six years now. That's some awesome time for your mind to spend. 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. And but like like I said, I, I can bring I bring my PlayStation Vita, and I have headphones. Oh, and my laptop. Like I've got. How do all, you how do you know when a guest comes in? I, oh, I I keep it low. Oh, okay. And I keep my I keep my eyes out all the time. To yeah. they've scared me many times. <laughs> I've had people sneak up and tap me on the back of the shoulder, and <laughs> I've and that was the one time I swore at a guest. Went, yeah. Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what's the other job? The other job is uh, I am a bar back at a at the world famous Jake's Tavern <laughs> in Gillette, Wyoming. You uh, live in Wyoming, Gillette, Wyoming. Yes. I didn't know that. For some reason, I was thinking you were just outside the L.A. area. So uh, let's talk about your childhood. What was it like growing up in in Wyoming? (laughs) Uh, What was your family life like? Well, it started out uh, idyllic. Uh, My first memories were just sitting sitting underneath the kitchen table with my cat and watching all the watching moms get perms and dad's drinking beers and just it was it was perfect it was it seemed like it was always sunny just nice were you uh, were you kind of a loner no uh but we were uh, my cousins and my aunt and uncle lived uh down the street so we just had family get-togethers every day and how how far apart in wyoming rural wyoming is it was it rural wyoming? it was about sixteen thousand people when i was a kid it's up to thirty six thousand now so how far apart are houses in in there can you walk to other people oh houses? yeah yeah okay. it's easy I, I used to walk everywhere in that town i always picture wyoming i always picture people living 30 miles apart and a hundred <laughs> bearers in between there is a town called rosette not far out which has the strip club <laughs> Brian's place. It is fucking gross. But uh, that town is, yeah, the ranch houses where everybody is a long distance apart. But no, there's there's all ton- lots and lots of houses and apartments. And by the way, I love that you that you said that it was gross because I don't think there's a single listener that didn't picture it and think, that place is probably That's Brian's gross. place. That place is probably good. And the worst part was when it first opened, uh, <laughs> a friend of mine's like, oh, you remember Holly? I'm like, yeah. It's like, she works there. And I'm like, oh, God. How can you not bump into <laughs> girls that, that that you knew growing up? It's you know they're not going to commute two hours. Uh, I suppose some do. Yeah, that, that that was that, that was the weirdest thing. And uh, I got drugged there once, and it was awful. I hate strip clubs. I've been to two in my life, and I hate them. I get that feeling of like feeling sad. Like suddenly I'm like that's someone's daughter. Like that's all I can think about. That and the other thing that that bums me out. I mean, clearly you know I enjoy the naked female body Mm -hmm. but the other thing that bothers me in strip clubs is that they talk to you like you're a little boy (laughs) and and i you just and sometimes i've said you know look i'm not one of these guys that thinks that you're into me i know i know this is a gig for you and um yeah there's so many things that are and that's the thing that, that that's weird when you find yourself in a in a strip club and turned on by somebody stripping is there are so many things in your brain that are shouting this is this is you know and and i'm not and i'm not shitting on on strippers i know there are strippers that enjoy what they do and are proud of their body and it's empowering yeah i still have a friend who does it but there are so many that it's 
Oh, it's, it's sad. It's financial desperation. There was some type of abuse. And it's such a weird mix of pleasure and sadness at the, <laughs> at the same time. It has the worst feeling in yeah. the world. Probably even more than masturbating. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Although I'm getting to the point where uh, I don't feel I don't feel shame or just a release. Yeah, I I, I, had to, I had to teach myself. I was raised in and oh yeah, the, uh, the childhood. Sorry, getting back. I gotta not get off point. My brain is horrible. Please, please don't apologize. <laughs> and I know that's ironic coming from me. <laughs> but go ahead. You were you were raised was you were you raised in a uh, conservative. Yeah, but I didn't know. I didn't know about politics at all until I was like 22. But I mean, um, but I, yeah, they're all they're all voting Republican, very very staunch Christians, except for my dad. Uh, my dad is uh, just mean. <laughs> yeah, it just it, he was he was drinking a lot back then, and this uh, when my mom and dad got to get got together, uh, my mom found God through my dad's uh, my grandma, and she's the sweetest woman in the world. Uh, one of the few Christians I still really appreciate because she's so nice. She just, walks the walk. She's giving, yeah. constantly giving. Like, that's all she's done. And she saved my mom from dr- drug addiction in the pits of nowhere. And my mom and him met, and my mom stopped and went to church every day, and my dad did not. Mm. He continued to do drugs behind the family's back and drink. And, and does he still? He's been sober from booze for about 25 years or so. What, but, is, it, what is he not sober from? Uh, meth, meth and weed. Wow, he sounds like he picked the wrong one to. Uh, <laughs> right? He had it. Uh, well, anyway, well, uh, well, weed. No, I, I don't think weed is necessarily. Uh, not to, yeah. It, he, he, it, he 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 said when he was a teenager that I'll never stop smoking weed, kind of thing. Yeah. But why? Why meth seems like the most unmanageable of the addictions right, that's to the, keep. That's the weird thing. But any uh, it, uh, when I was a kid, but my dad was a trucker. So he would, oh. <laughs> right? There's where there's where the meth comes in, right? Yeah. He's the stereotypical uh, trucker that smokes meth. <laughs> yeah, but I, uh, I'd imagine for for a, a, a trucker, meth is in many ways a, a curse and a godsend. Right? Yeah, you you can get anywhere, anytime, and never sleep, and rarely eat. And I always think about you know when a big big truck passes me especially the ones that that are the two-part ones oh yeah there were ones swaying a little <laughs> bit and i always think is that guy on meth 80 percent chance <laughs> oh my god that he, he had all of his friends were truckers that did it too this is all oblivious to me i was i was an oblivious happy-go-lucky kid that just loved uh playing x-men in the backyard with my friends so, so when did things begin to change for you? When did it begin to get uh, less than idyllic? And, and was there a feeling? Oh, and uh, I was in Christian school, and my mom was one of the teachers as oh, well. Oh, wow. Um, so what was there, your relationship like um, with your parents um, outwardly and kind of inwardly and emotionally for you? Uh, when I was little, my dad was the greatest, and my mom was the greatest. <laughs> Just loved them to death. They loved me right back. My brother, my brothers are both half-brothers, and they... Uh, they gave me a lot. One's six years older, the other's eight years older. So I got, I got picked on a lot. Also, Seth's the baby. He can run to his mom. And mom will protect him, kind of. You know, I just I remember all that and being, and then learning to stop running to mom and all that stuff. I learned a lot of stuff really fast and was doing good. Uh, but my my dad, when he'd leave for trucking, I is he'd come back the same day every time. He'd leave for a week, and he'd be back for a week. And then the day he'd come back, I'd sit on the stairs out front on the porch, and he'd show up, and I'd run up to his truck on my bike and say hello. When I and turn- how, would, how would he react when you would? Oh, he would big big smile. He'd catch me. Hey, bud, give me a big mm-hmm. hug. He was he was very nice. 
Good, you know, a good dad at the time. Is he not a good dad now? No. See, like when I turned eight, he I went out there to see him come home, and he didn't show up. And then uh, he didn't show up for nine months. Wow. And during those nine months, or for about three of those months, I was that sad little boy sitting on the porch <laughs> every day. Oh, no. Just saying he's and not and not mad or thinking he's and he's, he's going to be here today. Today's the day. Like I never lost hope, which makes it, it hurts now. It didn't hurt then for some reason. I just was like, he's going to come back, guys. And my brother's like, no, he's a piece of shit. He's never coming back. And my mom's just she's like, yeah, sure. He's coming back. And she's holding back tears. And then after those three months, I'm like, well, I guess he's not coming back. And oh, well, and just kind of moved on. Like I didn't I didn't let it affect me for some reason. But then after nine months, I started being like, he just doesn't love us anymore. And then he showed back up. Uh, what was the reason he gave her, your mom gave for him not coming back? She didn't know. She's like, I, he just stopped showing up. Did he, was he talking? Did no. He, he just he, cut, he contact. cut contact, just disappeared. Completely disappeared. And turned out he was in town, like still in Gillette, with uh, another woman uh, doing drugs. Because this, this, he'd been off his drugs for a little while, and he just... Kind of was like, I've got to get away. And he did that, came back, apologized. We had our big prayer, devotion in the room, talked to God, everybody, everything's going to work out. And I was so happy when he came back to us. Like, see, I told you he'd come back. And uh, he was back for a couple of weeks. And those two weeks, he drank like a monster. Just Jack Daniels, a full bottle every night. And he'd scream at my mom. I remember running up there uh, when I was nine years old, just telling them both to shut up. That sad little scene of the little boys saying, stop fucking fighting. You're, you know, you're making, you're making me sad kind of thing. And they stopped. But my mom told me later, he's like, yeah, he was slapping me. So thank you for, thank you for coming up. It's like a, a switch went off in him. Well, it's, he'd always been uh, like, it just, it was a life he's always had. And I didn't know. He just hit it. Well. And mom never told us either. Like it was all. Because it's a Christianity. Nobody, nobody tells about their feelings. It's just as bad. as like, It's like Irish Catholics, how they don't, they don't talk anything out. They, they get it out with fists. Uh, but there was, there was no, like, it was never, he never said mean things to me or my brothers, really. He was just really mean to my mom. What did that feel like? Awful, because my mom was my fucking hero, basically. Because she stuck through this and was my teacher at school and, uh, and just seemed like a rock. But my mom was dying inside. Like she now is uh, in, on like lots of medication for depression and things like that. What did you? What was the fantasy? Was there a fantasy in your head about how the situation could be resolved? Something you would do? Would you fantasize about being big enough to beat up your dad? Or see, no, that I didn't know he was hurting her. I just heard him. Oh. Yeah, I, all I could hear was screaming, and that's why I would just one night I finally got sick of it and told him to shut up, and they stopped. And my mom said, "You saved me." He was he was hurting me. And how old were you when that happened? About nine, yeah. This is after he came back, so I was nine. St but just some reason I had, like, I still, and also the, my whole, as a kid, my mom was like, you know, pray, talk to God, and I would every night and tell her, no one's talking back. I don't know why you keep telling me to, why you keep telling me to talk to somebody. She's like, no, he'll talk. It's in your heart. And I'm like, okay. And I go to my room, try again. I'm like, no, there's nobody here. Just talking to myself again. Like, I just never felt it, ever. Even though I believed in, I was believing in everything and like all that stuff was true. It was fairy tales. <laughs> you know, all of it's a great fairy tale for a little boy in school. Uh, but it's just, it, it was during all this drinking and the yelling and the fighting. My brother, my oldest brother, Matt, he'll get talked about a lot too. Uh, he's got rage issues, massive rage issues. And uh, is a, has about 16 guns. 
Wow. Yeah. So he and he had a fully loaded fifty caliber Desert Eagle. Because my dad was coming home drunk every night and fighting. Yeah, Desert Eagle, by the way, is the <laughs> most powerful handgun available. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, a fifty caliber handgun. He had a fifty caliber and a forty-five caliber. I shot that one and it broke my nose. Uh, fifty caliber is normally what you would use for long-range sniping. Oh yeah, uh, like like when you see a machine gun mounted on top of um, a light armored vehicle. That's, That's a, 50 a 50 caliber yep. machine gun. So that and a handgun is like... And hollow point bullets that he makes. He has his own little reloading oh station. That he taught me how to do it. That was always that was our one bonding session when I was a kid. He taught me how to make shotgun shells and bullets and stuff because he had his little reloading station. But he sat there one night. I came upstairs to the living room, and he's sitting there just cleaning his gun quietly. I was like, Matt, you all right? He's like, oh, yeah. Yep, yeah, I'm all right, dude. It's like he, It was like middle of the night. I was like, is dad home yet? He's like, no. He's like, you just go on to bed. It's like, okay. And he told me later, he spent, as soon as he was done cleaning, he had one bullet in the chamber and he just sat there, pointed at the front door, waiting. He's like, if he would have came in the door, I would have killed him. He was 15, something like that. And is it because he knew he, he was he hurting knew. your mom? Yeah. And I think he knew more than us because he was the oldest. I think he knew more of what was really happening. And he probably also knew how much your dad was failing you were. And he was failing him when he first came in. Uh, and Matt felt like he never. Like he now that these days he's become a rage monster, and went from never drinking to full bottles of wild turkey, like literally full jump, no gradual buildup, and he just screamed at people. I remember he called me. He called me once and just said, "Mom fucking loves you more than anyone else. He doesn't love me. She doesn't love anybody more than you." Is fucking just crying, and I'm like, Matt, that's not true. She loves all of us. And I fuck you, notion just losing his mind. He tried to choke me out on my 26th birthday. For me, uh, I was we were we were having drinks at my birthday party, and uh, we, he got to talking about how God's fixed his life, and I laughed because oh God's what oh sorry God's fixed his life oh, okay again because <laughs> yeah. this is like the fifth fifth or sixth time he's had to like go to God, and I was like Matt this is like the sixth fucking time you need to fix something you need to go elsewhere and like go to a support group or something like that, and I was like because there ain't no fucking God and that argument started going and I got real mean so I was being just as mean back but then finally just hands around my throat was he reminding you of your dad and oh, your dad's yeah kinda? a little a little bit and his dad too his dad's not even a drinker he's just a sociopath kind of guy. Like how so? He's a marriage counselor that's been divorced six times. <laughs> six fucking times. Still does it to this day. And he's just the weirdest dude. Like, he feels, no he feels nothing. That's, isn't that the, soci the sociopath? Sociopath, from what I understand, yeah, is somebody who lacks empathy um, for most people, but there are a few people that they, that they have empathy for, sometimes family. Whereas a, a psychopath feels no empathy towards... Um, uh, anybody in yeah. family. Yeah. Cause he, he, uh, they're, the, my two brothers finally confronted him about Lee cause he left too. That's why those, I think my other brothers took that really hard. They got, they lost two dads. And when he left, uh, or when he came back and my brothers talked to him, had the big talk, they're like, you know, you broke our hearts. We're hurting. He just said, okay. <laughs> it's like, well, if I had to do what I had to do, you know, just big smile. <laughs> like, I hate you, Jim. <laughs> You're a fucking dick. <laughs> He's, he's in both of our dads, you know, my, my dad, again, all my friends' dads, they all fucking failed their, their fucking kids. We all had good moms. <laughs> wow. It was weird to grow, grow up around that where everybody's, everybody had one mom and an awful dad that was rarely there. So we, everybody kind of had a way to bond that way. But like I said, when, uh, after that night, uh, 
he he left again. He disappeared for another like six months, and then came back. Disappeared for three months and came back. And he would just come back for a week or two with a new job, and another forgiveness circle. And, and what was in the, the bedroom? What was was there an arc to how you felt about this happening? I slow. I stopped being like dad's awesome. It started to just get to get to the point where I'm like, I'm starting to see a pattern here. <laughs> I know I'm little, and I, I, I may, I'm starting to see something here. He's missed the last three birthdays and Christmases. Like he's been, He was gone for the big ones, and then he'd show up for a week or two, gone for all the big stuff again. Then he was gone for two years. And when I turned 12 or 13, showed up in his truck, wouldn't come inside, called my mom to the, his semi, and said, I want a divorce. My mom said, okay, and I was hiding, hiding by the truck so that they didn't know I was there. <laughs> And he just said, I want a divorce. And my mom said, okay, I, I, I thought so. It's for the best. Uh, when do you want to do it? And he's like, as soon as possible. Okay. He's like, well, get out. And I, I was just sitting, leaning against the truck, and she cried and ran off. And I just stared at him as he, as he sat there and just drove away. And I felt that, like, my heart just died. And I was angry. I wasn't sad. I was fucking mad. Like, no, it stopped being, like, crying every night because Dad's not coming home. It's like, fuck him. I hope he dies. And it stayed that way from until I turned 16. I was at a church rally. My mom finally convinced me to get baptized. I got dunked in water and clothes. I'm, I'm changed. <laughs> but uh, that night, I, I chose to, I had the big, huge breakthrough. Because those kind of church groups, they're, they're good sometimes. When they, they, they got me to like forgive him and stop, have that, and I lost that hate in my heart and felt so good. That's awesome. And was like, oh, I'm fucking free. Thankfully, I was like, if I see him again, I want to, I, I, I love him. I love my dad. And I'm crying. I'm crying. That night we go to the Burger King drive-thru and there's his Cadillac in front of us. And my mom's like, it's, you know, it's God. It's God. I'm like, I don't care what it is. I'm going to go say hi. Went and said hi, got his phone number and then spent almost every day over at his house smoking weed, smoking cigarettes, uh, just doing all the things I can't do at home, swearing, listening to the music I want to listen to. See, he was basically a buddy that had the, the good stuff. So we just hung out and smoked weed and, and you know, acted like teenagers. And he took me to a Metallica concert for my 16th birthday, the best thing he's ever done for me. Because Metallica is still one, probably my favorite band. So what did, what did it feel like then when you became, you know, getting high buddies with your dad? It... It started out as weird as just like because I kind of was hiding it from him in his house smoking weed downstairs and he's like hey why don't you join me I got some too and this is when I found out that's when I'm like oh that's why he, he does drugs I didn't know and we, but we just never talked about any of this never nothing ever got serious I showed him Metallica and got into it was that kind of you know we were just kind of bonding all over again but with the worst possible way with you know nothing but weed he'd quit drinking for he'd been sober from drinking for a while we reconnected but then i kind of moved in to his house instead of living with my mom and my mom was getting very sad and knew that i was smoking and was very upset and then it just kind of lost me i just kind of lived with my dad for a year and then uh my his grandmother owns the house that we all grew up in as one of the biggest houses in town it's very nice and uh, one of the first ones too <laughs> it's an old old place uh he was getting thrown out of the house that I was that he was at, and my grandma. He begged to his mother again uh, to let him take the house back for my mom. And she's and he's like, "You guys can still stay here and live with me." And my mom like, yeah, "No, no, we'll just go." And we moved all our stuff out and went and lived with my brother. But then I went and moved in there, and that the house I grew up in became the druggiest of drug dens. 
Because I went from a, as a little boy being, and during all of this, like when he was gone and stuff, before he even left, I was afraid of everything. I thought everything was going to kill me, which was weird. I had nightmares every night about drowning, and I don't know where that came from. Still kind of scared of water because of that. Spiders scare the shit out of me. I thought balloons. I was scared of balloons as a little boy because people would pop them, and I, I was like, it'll pop, it'll get in your eye, and it will kill you. <laughs> But I went from that to a fearless teenager, never going to die. And that teenager became, from then, at 17 years old, I discovered my dad is a meth dealer. From a friend of mine who's been doing, we've been getting, we've been smoking meth together. And then my friend's like, by the way, I've been getting this from your dad. Did you not know him? I didn't know. Again, revelation again. What, what did that feel like? Or what did you think when you heard that? <laughs> Surprisingly, it was a mix of, oh, cool, I don't got to go anywhere to find it. And not surprised. It's like, oh, that makes sense again. Was there any part of you that was kind of sad that your dad was a meth dealer? Somehow I was just numb. I, this was, my, that, that teenage era right there is when I got so numb. I felt nothing. I was in neutral. I was no sad, no happy. Just a death wish. It's all I knew I had. I wanted to die really bad. How would, how would you express that? How, how would your, the way you went about your daily life express itself with that death wish? Would you put yourself in danger? Every chance I got. Give me some examples. Uh, when it snowed and the, I, the roads got icy, I would <laughs> sit outside the window of a car and hold on and skate on the on the snow. And they dro they drove about forty miles an hour at one point, and then he slowed down because I saw a dry patch and I tumbled and tumbled and tumbled, and just got right back up and yeah, fuck it, that was awesome. I was invincible and at the same time really. And I when I was uh, fourteen, I tried to kill myself. I I jumped off of a the highest playground I could do head first and just kind of was going straight down then turned, somehow got to my back and just oof on the sand and was mad that I was still alive oh, that's so sad yeah that was the first try <laughs> what was the second try the second try was uh, I I had had a bunch I had a lot of meth and I had a bottle of Vicodin which I didn't like. I, I still don't like pills. That was never my thing. It was, it was going faster, going faster, staying up all fucking night, going faster. I took the, uh, I think about 15 of those Vicodin, smoked all of my meth as fast as I could, and just said, don't wake up tomorrow. Please don't wake up tomorrow. Woke up tomorrow, fucking furious. And then uh, that little period in between the drugs from 13 to like 16, as soon as I hit puberty, the girl that I loved from fifth grade on, I just was in love with her, uh, moved. And I, I was crushed. And then I, but I never told her I loved her. And then I told her, we talk on the phone. We wrote letters constantly. I told her on the phone that I loved her. And she said, you know, I live too far away. It's not going to work. And I snapped after we got off the phone and built these rules. I, I just walked into the bathroom, saw myself in the mirror. I, this is why I still have trouble with mirrors. I would look at myself in the mirror and just say, okay, here's the rules for today. <sighs> it's hard to do. It's hard. It, it hurts to talk about. I'm going to. And say, all right, here, here's the rules for today. If you look at a girl with any kind of sexual ideas in your head, I will beat the fuck out of you. If you and then I had another. <laughs> if you look at if you look at a girl's ass, I will beat the fuck out of you. If you talk out of line and you disrespect women, I will fucking beat you. Like I just kept threatening that I would beat myself, and I would every day. But I would punch myself in the chest and the arm. I was too scared to cut myself. Which that you fucking pussy, you can't even fucking cut yourself and just punch as hard as I could. And all over, and just my legs and my arms, and just would be, I'd just wear long sweaters and stuff. 
had, had anybody instilled sexual shame and repression in yes you? because i didn't even know what it was my mom was devastated and didn't give me any of the birds and bees talks i learned about all that when i was about 19 she was devastated about what my dad oh okay and just kind of hid she just hid in her room i used to just sit in her room with her and she would just sleep after school and i just sit in her room and watch kung fu and i just sit with her and Every night or every afternoon. So where did you, did you pick it up at church, this idea that, that sexual longing was a bad thing? Everything was a bad thing because of church, though. I thought everything I was doing was wrong. My love of metal that I was, I, find, I heard Metallica for the first time when I was like nine years old. And I, because I was raised on country and Christian. And then when I heard real music for the first time, my fucking mind was blown. Oh, yeah. Metal is but like, I, oh, this is what I'm feeling oh, inside. Because I, I was starting to play drums at the time. Drums, I played drums when I was eight until i was about 15 and yeah and i'm like this is this is real this is i'm finally feeling i'm feeling things now uh, and it was so good but i couldn't listen you know couldn't listen to any of that kind of stuff so it was it was lots of a i don't it was all everything was just wrong it was all a sin it was, what, what was your favorite metallica song what was there one that you just made you feel alive made you feel like you were heard and understood orion an, an instrumental on master of puppets Ah, time to give our sponsor a little bit of love. Our sponsor for this week is Daily Burn. Uh, please go check out the website and uh, support not only them, but uh, our podcast as well. Uh, the website is dailyburn.com. And uh, I've checked it out. It's really cool. They've got a variety of uh, workouts. They, are, they can be arranged by an instructor that you like, a style of a workout that you want, a length of a workout that you want. Um, they've got... Uh, Interval training, yoga, uh, Tabata. You remember Tabata? She was the kid on Bewitched. I couldn't resist. Um, super convenient. You can do a workout with or without equipment, and programs can range anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. And uh, the, here's the really cool part is you can access your workout from anywhere. You can connect across multiple devices like Roku, iPad, iPhone, and uh, pretty soon PS3 and Xbox. So if you guys, the listeners, um, go to dailyburn.com slash happy hour, you get the first 30 days free. Once again, uh, dailyburn.com slash happy hours. Happy hour. <laughs> Daily Burn, the best fitness anywhere. Yeah, it just it felt so good. And as soon as I learned the weird chords that are in it and everything, because I knew how to play all those songs, I'd play one the the song one every mm -hmm. day. It's a great song. So I can still play it. Yeah, <laughs> and I knew almost every how to play almost every one of their songs. Big fan. So you, you're. 15 or 16 when that when you're looking at yourself in the mirror 13 to 16 13 to so 16 those three years of puberty like I, I just started hitting puberty and it was lots of yeah just calling myself the worst things i can think of and just hurting myself and hating myself more than anything in the world like everybody's awesome and you are fucking aw i just say it every day like you know your fr your friend saber she's fucking wonderful i know she's fucking one like schizophrenically talking back and forth to myself having a slow gradual nervous breakdown basically and it, it culminated in i got a girlfriend and she found out that i was doing it finally because she was we were yelling and fighting about something i just started punching myself and she said what the fuck is this and started calling myself a fucking piece of shit and i grabbed uh we had a chain link fence that was just kind of grady and just rubbed my face across it as hard as i could so it's covered in cuts and blood and she said i thought you were going to kill yourself in front of me and what would you feel what would you get out of beating yourself up it felt it was so weird how viscerally 
good it felt. It was, it felt really, pro- it was, again, it was because I felt, it was, did it feel like I a release? From, yeah, because I went from no, no feeling at all to just vicious rage. And I, I know, if, I'm kind of glad I took it out on, my, on myself and not my friends and family. I, I just, everything was inward. I ended up slowly getting to be a bit of a jerk to people. As soon as, as soon as I turned like 16 and 17 and got done with that, I just, I was like, I just hate myself and want to die. I got to stop doing that though. And yeah, then I just, when I got into high school, uh, then uh, the Christian school shut down when I got to 10th grade and when, it when, became the strip club. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my God. You got me with that one. <laughs> But um, it shut down after, and that was it was so easy to work. Like I learned nothing. Like when I got to public school, suddenly I'm learning like things I never knew because I it was give, the Christian school had its own curriculum, so it taught it, it taught you whatever you want. Oh, was that housekeeping? It was. <laughs> Why would they come in at? Uh, They've been three, doing it all day. Three thirty in the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Uh, so I got, and it, the same year that I went to high school first time is the same year my dad took the house and everything else. So everything changed for me. Lost all my routines, lost everything, and went into regular high school with all the real kids, and hated it so much. And was already angry and hated everyone there. Thought they were all fucking posers and all this and that. I would wear pajamas every day to pa- school. Yeah, pajama my my pajama pants and a, and a hoodie with hidden headphones and listening to fucking Nothing Face and uh Pantera and Morbid Angel just metal and I just looked like the kid who it's such to say I looked like that kid that was going to shoot up the fucking school cuz I was mad. I was fuck I hated everybody and everything. Cuz it's when I discovered all those weird clichés about high school movies were kind of true. I a girl would talk to me in this class and she was so fucking cute. And I'm like, "Wow, why is she talking to this gorgeous little blonde girl?" And then I saw her at lunch and came came up to say hi and say I don't know you and I was like so that fucking really happens wow. <laughs> like they, she's around friends she can't she can't know you and then when she got back to the class she tried to talk to me and I was like fuck you like teachers like Seth uh, fucking like fuck you too and just fuck, walked home like I I just and then I just stopped going and dropped out and that's as soon as I dropped out that's when it was like I got and I was with a group of friends. That were just drugs. All we did was drugs. And what drugs were you doing? At the time, I was taking mushrooms, ecstasy, uh, uh, snorting cocaine, uh, weed, cigarettes, uh, acid. And acid a couple of times. I don't even want to know how stepped on the coke is you get oh, in dude, rural it was, Wyoming. <laughs> it was so bad. It, it was so bad. I hated it. I, I, was like, I kept hearing how great cocaine was. Oh, it was bad. <laughs> Uh, but I did any, literally, it was just give me something and I'll do it. Yeah. I did ketamine a couple of times. The only thing I didn't do then was heroin because I was afraid of needles and I thought that was the only way you could do it. (laughs) And I also didn't like, I didn't like pills and downers and stuff like that. I just liked tripping and going fast and I had some good times. It was just, that's the, the one upside is I remember going to a, a friend's house and he had every type of ecstasy that was ecstasy with meth, ecstasy with, uh, with mushrooms like laced in it and actually mixed with this and they're all half and half and I had one of each and stayed up for like three days just happy as all get out and then coming down and being sadder than I've ever been and this is nervous breakdown number two uh, I was back home and I sat upside down in one of those video game tilting chairs I just laid upside down in it and stared at the wall for a while and then just started screaming at myself again 
and beating the shit out of myself, it all came rushing back. And I wrote on a piece of paper in weird schizophrenic, big ass letters, little letters, some cursive, some print. Like, I don't want to see your ugly face today. I don't want to deal with you ever again. You are the demon that attacks me in my sleep. And the voice in my head screams, you don't deserve anything. And just kept writing and writing. And it was getting out. And I was screaming it in my room. Just screaming these. And it became lyrics to one of my songs later. <laughs> Were you screaming it at yourself or the darkness inside it's, you? Uh, yeah. It was, I was all coming back. I'm like, this fucking demon inside of me is back. This fucking self-hating. And then I'm still somewhat trying to believe in, like I, in a god. Trying to. But I just losing grip quicker and quicker and just starting to receive rationality <laughs> I, nothing against you folks you're you're all you're all lovely but i just don't I, I i find it to be a very big load of bullshit so then what happened well after that nervous breakdown i sat in my room and cried and screamed and cried and screamed people were there nobody came down nobody my dad didn't come down his girlfriend didn't come down his other roommates no never just left me in my room to scream and freak out and i came upstairs and like why is anybody fucking helping me He's like, oh, buddy, you'll be all right. And want to smoke a bull? <laughs> and then we, uh, you know, we we just get high, and it all go away for a little while. And if, if that 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 night, I just yeah, most of the nights just screaming in my room, and just hating myself all over again, and wanting to die so bad. That was the night I took all the pills. And do you still feel like you want to die? No, I don't at all. Actually, and I think I'm pretty good. What changed? Uh, well, after doing the seven, 17 to 24, about, you know, a good five years of straight meth addiction almost every day, not going to high school. How long were your runs when you would, or was it just a, you would sleep at night? Or? I do, th I do about three days when I got it and I'd eat and I'd, after the run or no, during I'd eat the during run. It. I'd eat. What, what made a run stop? Because I, I know people that would go on 10 day See, meth yeah, runs. My, my dad, my dad would do those too. The longest I went was about 12 days and I started seeing things and it was getting scary. I kept seeing people coming into my room and talking to me and then they disappear when I blink. And that's, that's uh, 12 days without sleep. Yeah. That is just fascinating. It's just your me. mind fucking breaking down. I was seeing people I've never seen before, and a friend of mine that died was like walked in the room and like, oh God, like, Brian, you died when I was fucking 10. <laughs> You're not supposed to be here. Like, just losing my mind. And I was like, I'm never, it was just a contest to myself to say, how long can I stay awake? <laughs> it was all, you know, I, I, to me, I was acting like all this was fun too to my friends. Like, this is all fun. Did you consider contacting the Guinness Book of World Records to see if you <laughs> placed anywhere near the top? Oh, I bet I didn't even come close. I'm uh, sure. That, I'm sure there's a guy who did about uh, 30 days, and he's missing lots of pieces of his face from picking. Picking. See, I didn't. I didn't do that. I chewed my fingers. I still do. I've done that since I was a little kid, but I do it way worse and start bleeding. And uh, oh, th th there was the night I talked so long, and my teeth were fucked. I, I had to have eight of them pulled recently. They were all. Mm -hmm. It's all my back. Got got the presenter still, <laughs> but all my all my back. I have only two back teeth left, and one of them's in pieces still. Uh, but they're sharp on the sides, so when I talk, it would just my tongue would scrape and scrape. So I was talking to my friend for hours and hours and hours, and then my mouth just starts bleeding. And so I talked until my tongue bled. Like, wow. Oh yeah, and I and like as you can see, I, I still talk a lot. <laughs> Well, this is a good thing for a guest. Right. This is, yeah, you're not talking too much if you if you leave here and feel like, oh, I talk too much. No, you, <laughs> you, you haven't because you're you're answering all the questions that that I have. So um, I don't want you to feel when when you leave here like, oh my god, I talk too much. No, this is all stuff I want to know. All right, good. Um, so what 
you're in this five year meth addiction. Any other snapshots from it that you want to share with us that are were seminal? Um, or, oh, yeah, or there, compelling. Th- there's one very mm-hmm. big one. Uh, one day before I worked at a bar and grill that was a block away from me, so I'd walk to work every day. Uh, and I'm sitting there uh, smoking a bowl of meth with my dad, <laughs> which we didn't do very often. I, we didn't hang out much, even though I lived with my dealer. We didn't hang out a lot. I hated him. Still. I knew I did. I, I, that whole, I forgive him and all that stuff, that was just horrible coincidence. I wish it never happened. Because I, I never would have moved in and gotten involved with all these people and meeting his weird biker meth dudes that were fucking scary as shit with butterfly knives. And just the stereotypical fucking crazy dudes. All with mustaches. <laughs> my dad has a handlebar, red mustache, and red hair. Um, I'm, me and my dad are upstairs uh, smoking a bowl of meth, getting really, really high, and talking for once. And now, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> what happened? We talked about it. <laughs> we talked about it's like it's, it just kind of weirdly organically. We weren't talking about anything in particular because we're high as fuck. <laughs> going around in circles built about to build a rocket kind of <laughs> we can do anything and suddenly i'm like so why'd you fucking leave and it just went from there and he's he defended himself instead of saying sorry he sat there and, and called my mom a liar and said i'm not how are you making me the bad guy i'm like you were the fucking bad guy you dumbass like you fucking left and never came back and you ruined my life. It's like, what am I doing right now? I'm sitting here fucking getting high with my dad. Oh, that's real. And it's just that and it's escalating. And I'm way too, way too high. I'm seeing spots because I'm getting so mad and I'm starting to see red, which I've only seen once before. And I, it's scary. Have you, have you, uh, I have. It's scary. And I was so jacked, like <laughs> still trembling thinking about it. Because I, I was like, you fucking told me not to tell mom that you were taking the house. You told me six months before, and you said you would tell her, and you didn't tell her until a week before you took it, which is what he did. And he said, no, I told your mom. It's like, no, mo- mom just found out I was there. He's like, no, your mom's a liar. He's like, you calling me a liar, too? And mom's like, fuck you. You call her a liar again, I'll kill you. And he's like, I'm sorry, bud, but your mom's a liar. And before he get it out, <laughs> had my hands so clasped around his throat so tight I could feel them touching each other I I I'm just staring staring at him just gritting my teeth I can hear him gritting my teeth gritting and I asked him can you breathe dad can you breathe and he wouldn't answer me because <laughs> he couldn't scream can you fucking breathe got really close to his face and he said no and I said that's how you made me feel when you fucking left me and shoved him onto the couch and said I'm going to work and walked out the door, got to work, <laughs> and my friend, like, hey guys, how's it going? And they're like, hey, Seth, you okay? I'm like, and I lie, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm fine. Like, dude, your shirt's covered in tears, and you're crying. And I'm like, I, and I didn't realize I, they were flowing. I couldn't even feel it. Like, dude, you're crying. Are you all right? I'm like, no, not really. Actually, <laughs> things went really, really bad. I'm just all chipper. And they're like, well, all right, let's talk about it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna have to take the day off, guys. I'm gonna have to go back and take the day off. And told them that I, I just tried to kill my father. <laughs> I kind of would have liked to have seen you try to sing happy birthday to a table. <laughs> <laughs> just streaming tears. Because <laughs> it was so... Uh, that felt... And it was, it was... It made me so... I don't know. I felt so strange. The whole the rest of the day, I just kind of walked. Did, did you regret doing that to your oh, head? Oh, yes. <sighs> it... 
I like. I. It's strange that I kind of love. That's what I said to him. <laughs> I do too. You know, you sharing that with me. I mean, I feel sorry for your dad. I, I mean, I, see, that's the thing I've I've grown to is I'm finally just like I just feel he hates everything in his life and he's miserable and he's clearly so empty and oh, has yeah. no tools and just won't <laughs> won't accept help from anybody and it's everyone else's fault kind of kind of guy and what still smokes meth to this day i haven't seen him in about three what years. are his teeth like uh orange the same well, matches hair the, the, his mustache his mustache and teeth look a lot alike ex- looks- except and he's pale like really creepy pale but he um I haven't seen him now, and I actually I haven't seen him since the day I left. I see I seen him once at Walmart, and I, he didn't notice me. I just walked right past him. When did you leave? How old were you? Twenty four. At, at what age did that happen that you you, you choked him? It might have been that year. Okay, this was this was me building up to finally stopping. So you haven't seen him in about five years. Just that once, and I didn't acknowledge him. He didn't he didn't recognize me. And I was was that. Choking him the last time that you... No, see, I came back after walking around the town and just trying to figure out, what what did I do? Why did I do that? I'm really fucking high. I'm scared. Like, why am I doing that? And smoked a pack of cigarettes walking around, just one after the other after the other, just shaking and freaked out. I went back home, and he's there, getting high with my other roommate. I went upstairs <laughs> and said, do you, you have anything to say? He's like, oh, no, I'm all right, bud. How are you? And I'm like, wow. And I just stomped back down to my room. And never. And that, after that, I just kind of stopped talking to him altogether, acknowledging him at all. And he just acted like it didn't happen. And so then what led to you? I got, a, I got a girlfriend. <laughs> Again, the girlfriends have been the, the thing that got me out of all of this, thankfully. Thank God for women. Uh, she, you know, I met her at the, the restaurant, of course. And... Uh, I was doing it behind her back for a good year and a half of our relationship. Doing the meth. Yeah. I told her I was an, an addict and everything before we got together. And she's like, well, I can fix you. <laughs> oh, no. Bad idea. Oh, my God. Yeah. She was, she was, she was 18. Yeah, it was, yeah. She was young. Way younger than me. So she, she was optimistic. And hope, had hope in her eyes and her heart. And I <laughs> took it all away. Oh, that's a, that's a whole other story. I won't, I won't get into it. It's too sad. We fought constantly. Who, who drained who? Did you drain both? We drained each other. Yeah. Just totally drained each other. A marriage ma- made in heaven. Oh, yeah. We were a married couple. Just an, a married couple that hated each other so much. Eventually. When the girlfriend found out, I, t- I told her, finally, I've been doing meth behind your back for a year and a half. That was a big, big blow. Uh, that was September 13th. I went to work that night at the hotel. Cried all night. Uh, came back the next day and packed up my stuff and moved to my mom. Or just brought a few things with me and went straight to my mom's after work. And said, Mom, I'm going to live with you from now on. Uh, and then told her everything. I've been doing drugs constantly, and that's like that's why you're bar. I knew that's why because you were borrowing money, and it would be. Go- I'd call you the next day and it'd be gone. And like I'm sorry I did that. I, I <laughs> I'm sorry I just abandoned you for five years. Didn't barely see you. I'm sorry for everything I ever did. <laughs> and she, we cried and we hugged and I was like I'm just I'm not going back. I don't want to. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to sit and fucking waste my life and my teeth and my health. And I stopped playing guitar for like six months during that too, and it scared me because I fucking love to play guitar, but I didn't love it anymore. I didn't love anything. I didn't love video games, which is another big one for me. I lost everything. Hey, sorry. Don't apologize. 
and it was it was good. It felt so good to tell her everything and find and told all my family. I told everyone in my family and all my friends that didn't know. I apologized to everybody. Kind of did one of the steps type of thing. Went and told everybody, and the girlfriend was going to break up with me, but she saw me there crying and said, "I'll stick with you and I'll help you get through this." And then when she went to college, she broke she broke up with me, which was okay. We fought too much, <laughs> but. I just, it, it was clean break there. Like, we were, she's like, I'm going to take you to rehab. Like, I was like, I, I just need to stay here, mom. We'll go to rehab in a, in a couple of weeks, but I just don't let, I'm taking a week off of work. I'm just going to stay here with you and s- sleep for a while. <laughs> and I just, and it, it felt good. It never felt hard. Not, not once. It just was like, I, I wanted to stop so bad. And it, all it took was moving my, leaving my dealer <laughs> and just saying goodbye. I never, I never, I didn't even tell him I was leaving. Your dealer being your dad. My father, yes. Yeah. He contacted me a couple, like, a little, uh, three weeks after I'd left. <laughs> Called me. Hey, buddy, are you, uh, you coming back home? And I was like, have you not been downstairs? Everything's gone. I left. And he's like, oh, all right, well, that's probably good for you. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's a lot better that way. And we just had a casual conversation. Oh, your dad is so numb. He's really numb. It's scary. Well, and then... Sorry, I have, I have so much to talk about. I hope we're not going too long. It's okay. Um, I've never even cried about this. It's weird <laughs> to think about. Uh, uh, two years ago, uh, I hadn't seen him in about two years at the time. Uh, he had a huge, massive heart attack, obviously. He was smoking cigarettes, yeah. smoking meth, smoking weed, smoking, smoking, smoking. And I didn't cry. I didn't feel bad. I was like, he got what he deserved kind of attitude, which is not, not a good attitude to have. It, makes, it brings up that resentment, that rage that I know I have. And he, 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 he got out of the hospital. I didn't contact him at all. Uh, he quit smoking cigarettes, but he still smokes a lot of meth. My, fr- my friend that still visits him told me that, and he stopped visiting him because he's like, he's become even bigger dick than usual, dude. He's getting meaner and meaner now because he knows he's going to die. And instead of making amends, he's just become meaner. I don't. I, he and he married the girl that he'd been living with there for so long, and that, father, mu- that ba- must have been a beautiful ceremony. <laughs> and when I heard they were getting married, I'm like, what's what's their angle? Mm. <laughs> what's the ki- what's their catch? Are they getting like a tax break or something? That was my first thought too. <laughs> because he's in tr- big trouble with the IRS. He's been getting paid under the table for his entire adult life. The IRS came to the door a couple of times when he wasn't there. I was like, oh, ladies in nice suits with the in, inter, international revenue. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> God damn it. Internal revenue service. Thank That's you. Right. My brain is not doing Did they look today. at his teeth and said, oh, I'm sorry, you're eating Cheetos. We can come back later. <laughs> oh, those are some really weird Cheetos, man. Yeah. No, he wasn't there. I was there. I answered the door and was like, oh, no. And then I, that's when I found out. I asked him. He's like, don't ever let them in. No. That's the first time I saw some emotion out of him. And that and how much he hates Canadians. <laughs> I know. Racist to Canadians. Thinks they're all fucking awful people. Because <laughs> he trucked, he would truck up to Alaska. And yeah, he's like, the fucking people, they fucking think they're so fucking nice and like hates Canadians. He's good with everyone else. That is awesome. <laughs> such a strange man. Oh my God. But yeah, so after that, after his heart attack, I, d- I didn't talk to him still for a little while longer. And then, uh... Uh, a month after the the heart attack and everything like that, um, I like said that now I moved away from my mom's and wasn't visiting her enough and or texting her very much, which made me feel, I always feel bad 
she would text me every now and then like, I miss you. I haven't talked to you in a while. Oh, sorry, mom. Hi. How are you? Been busy. Been working. Hanging out with friends. Playing open mics. Having fun. And uh, in March, I got a phone call from my brother in the morning that my mom took all of her pills and tried to kill herself. I'm so sorry. I, the thing that makes me kind of happy is I'm, I cr- I'm cr- wanted to cry about it now, but I cried. I didn't. I didn't feel numb. I I cried because I don't cry. This is the first time I've cried in about since then. Really? I I don't cry very much. Sorry. That's why I'm trying. You can see me <laughs> holding it in. If I let it out, I don't know if I'll stop. It's okay. But. It just—it was—it felt like a surprise, but I also knew my mom was getting so depressed, and I just—I felt like a dick for not ever going and visiting her enough because I could have at least done something. It was after my brother had finally, because my my middle brother lived with her for his—he never moved out for a very long time until he was about thirty-three, and she lost that, and she was living alone and just getting really sad and lo- losing her faith in God and all that, and I'm just—I'm like I'm seeing the signs. You got to do something about that. Oh, wait, there's video games. <laughs> oh, wait, I got work. Oh, wait, and just putting it off. And I felt like such a jerk. Then when I went to the hospital to see her, she was on the fifth, the fifth floor at our hospital. Is the, you're locked up ward because you, you get your license taken away, all that stuff. The, the attendants are all jerks. None of them are nice. To the pe- It's so sad. Like, it's not a nice place to be. They're so mean to those people. So many people have killed themselves in that place. It's scary to be in there. It's got that vibe of death in there. But I come in and I got mad at her. Instead of being supportive, I just, why did you do that? Why'd you do this to me? Such a jerk. Because is it, if I had to ask friends, like, is it okay for me to feel that way? That she's trying to take her away from me like she's my possession type of thing. Is it okay to feel that way? And my, my oldest brother was furious. He's like, why are you fucking mad at her? And I just left crying and I, ended, I apologized for days after that, of course, and sat with her and, and said, I'm so sorry. I will sp- I, we're all, we all need to spend time with my mom. Don't leave her alone. She's so sad. <sighs> My family's just, it, it's, it's got, it started out so fucking good, <laughs> and it's just devolved to nothing. My, my oldest brother, after beating me up, he beat my brother up, and he would scream at my mom every single, because she lived with him for a while, because she lost another house and got thrown out, <laughs> lived with him, and he just screamed at her every day, take, drink a whole bottle of whiskey, and just say, you never were there for me, never done anything for me, and that's all she does for us is, is give that kind of thing. She's that kind of woman. She doesn't like herself either, though. She's. It's probably where I got some of that. Well, you know, my, you know, my thought, Seth, is when you yelled that at her, is your mom did abandon you? You know, she didn't do it consciously. Yeah, but she didn't have any tools to parent you. Yeah, she didn't have any tools to protect you, to talk to you about what was happening to get out of the marriage, which yeah. was clearly toxic and yeah. hurting you guys. Um, so, you know, I feel I, I feel like you have a right to be angry about that. Um, I don't I don't think 
your mom is like somebody that needs to have blame heaped on her. No, yeah. Because she sounds like a really well-meaning person that just doesn't know. Oh, yeah, she's a sweetheart. But that rage that you feel is completely human and completely understandable. Yeah. Because here is an example, again, of her wanting, of her being like a a child like your dad was. Yeah, yeah. And it was... You were raised by two children. I really was. Like, I'd like to go to just, I'd really like to go to therapy proper. Because I don't know how to get any of this out. Like I said, I don't cry. Have you ever tried calling 211 from a landline? Because sometimes you can find out what local services oh, are okay. available. I might, I'd have to do that. Try doing that. Also try Googling Lofi therapy in the name of your town or the nearest large town and see see what happens. But most people I know, when they reach out for help, the universe has this weird way of, of meeting you halfway. And um, I don't know. It seems like when we change our energy... Um, it sounds corny, but like pathways in the universe seem to oh. to open up, and um, so I, you know, I'd I'd encourage you to just to to give it a shot. But thank you for for sharing all that stuff. I know that must have been um difficult to to share some of that stuff. It felt really good. Yeah. It felt really really good. You would be such an awesome addition to a support group, Seth, because you're you're open and you're sweet. <laughs> and you're just a nice guy you got a really big heart you know it's been it's been stepped on a lot but it seems to have not killed your spirit and um somehow <laughs> yeah and uh i think that's beautiful so thanks for coming on the thank you the podcast sorry. and opening up tears again sorry that's all right i'm just gonna walk over and ironically choke you now <laughs> <laughs> thanks man thanks buddy Many thanks to to Seth for coming on. And, you know, a lot of times I get uh, emails from, from people that uh, feel like too many of, of the people that I interview have things all figured out and they want somebody who's kind of more in the middle of it. And uh, I think I think uh, Seth's episode is is a good um, good one of those. And uh, Mike Carano's was another episode that... Uh, um, where there's some still some struggle kind of kind of going on and uh, and what they're what they're dealing with and so um, I really appreciate those the people that come on in the middle of their stuff because I know um, what am I talking about I'm in the middle of shit all the time <laughs> uh, before we get to some of the surveys I want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support the show especially this time of year. Um, if you would, um, please, if you're going to shop at Amazon, enter it through the search portal in our homepage. It's on the right-hand side about halfway down, not to be mistaken with the search box for our site itself. Um, the Amazon one is different than that. And that way, Amazon gives us a couple of nickels from everything you buy, and it doesn't uh, doesn't cost you anything. You can also support the show by becoming a monthly donor or making a one-time PayPal donation. Um Monthly donors, uh, I love you so much. It it uh, is the financial foundation that allows this show to to keep functioning, and you can sign up for as little as five bucks a month, and it really truly means the world to me. It may not seem like a lot of money, um, but it does add up, and um, it helps give me some sense of stability that this is something that I can um, do maybe for you know for a long time, and that I don't have to look for another 
another job. Um, that's that's the hope is that I can I can get this to that point where I'm supporting myself from this. Um, I think that's it. Oh, you can also support the the show non financially by going to iTunes, writing something nice, giving us a good rating, and you can support uh, the show through um, spreading the word through social media. That really does bring more listeners, and I appreciate that very much. Um, we are going to kick it off with an email, but before I do that, I want to mention um, the surveys. I've got a big stack of surveys that I'm going to go through, and they are kind of in increasing order of darkness. Um, uh, I've got happy moments peppered throughout them, but um, it's a pretty dark collection of surveys, um, but something in me was just like, I, I want to read these tonight, and and I'm not apologizing for choosing these to 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 read. Um, I guess I sometimes I feel like I, you know, because I read all the ninety uh, percent of the surveys that get filled out. I read, and sometimes I want to. I don't want to take that feel that weight all on my own, and I want to. I want to put it out there because then it doesn't feel like I'm the only one listening to these people's stuff. And while I appreciate their honesty, sometimes I just need to um I need to put it out there and get feedback from you guys too. And nothing buoys me like when I read a survey that's dark and somebody writes me back and says that it helped them. Um, whether it be the person that filled it out and it was powerful them to hear their words read back to them uh, or it's somebody who had a similar experience. That's where I'm coming from. How do you like that? Um, so to kick it off is uh, an email uh, from... I don't know if this person left a name, but he says... Um, I'm an uncontrolled type 1 diabetic and do that. I have some erectile dysfunction issues and my wife yells at me about it. How do I get her to be a bit more understanding? And and there was other stuff that, that, that he shared that he's really having problems in his marriage. And you know, I basically wrote back to him and said, you can't. You can't make somebody more understanding. All you can do is control how you react to how that person makes you feel, either by expressing your feelings to them or limiting your contact or cutting contact with that person. Anything less than that is crazy making, trying to change other people. Uh, this was a happy moment. Uh, filling out, how do I not read this? Filled out by Butt Queen. Um, and she writes, after I've been having bad luck with boys and dating in general, I met this really nice guy who seems to be taking his time with me. I don't know what it is about him or why him taking his time with me is such a surprise, but things seem like they're supposed to be, at least when I picture the beginning of a relationship anyway. A few weeks ago, we went on a huge date. We went uh, all over uptown New Orleans. Then we ended up on a street I'd never been on before, and it had um, a cute cafe, a bunch of head shops, three pizza restaurants, and a comic shop on the corner. While I was taking in my surroundings, he grabbed my hand and said excitedly, referring to the comic shop, holy shit, this store is finally open, let's fucking go. He ran across the street with my hand in his. For some reason at that moment, I was the happiest I've ever been. He was so elated and so was I. We were on a mission 
to nerd the fuck out, and that's what we did. We oohed and awed at old action figures, made out and held hands freely, cracked jokes with the shop owner, sat down in a corner back-to-back reading comics, and bought a few things when we finally had to leave. It sounds so simple and girly, and if I wake up tomorrow and hate his guts, I don't think I'd care. I'd never had an experience like that with someone that I had feelings for, buried in our interests and appreciating them together. I felt like I was in a Scott Pilgrim spinoff or something. No matter how simple it may sound, it was truly one of the happiest moments I've experienced in my short life. I love that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Bren. She is uh, bisexual in her 30s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment with mentally ill parents, um, never been sexually abused, deepest, darkest thoughts. I'm ashamed that I think as much as I do about a man I briefly dated but who did not wish to pursue a relationship with me. I never imagined I could be so obsessed with someone that rejected me. Deepest, darkest secrets. I'm ashamed at how much I eat. I'm ashamed at how often I have internet stalked a man that rejected me. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you, performing oral sex on an attractive woman who is wearing lingerie. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? Yes. Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? I'm not ashamed of any sexual thoughts or feelings, but I am ashamed that I still obsess over a guy who rejected me. That's a really common one that I that I get in the surveys. And um, I'm told, and I've got to read it one of these days, but um, PM Melody has a book out called, uh, I believe it's called um, Love Addiction, uh, something like that. And... Um, Everybody I know that's read it raves about it. So maybe pick that up and read it. And then let me know what you think. (laughs) Uh, Same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Jane. She's straight. uh, In her 30s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Never been sexually abused. Deepest, darkest thoughts. There have been times when I just nearly trip or drop something and I think of all the worst things that could have happened. Falling down the stairs and breaking my neck at the bottom or getting stabbed by a tool and after my death, they somehow accidentally blame my husband. Then I start really imagining how my husband and family would react to my unpleasant and untimely death and it brings me almost to tears. All because I tripped on a shoe or something. I catastrophize a lot. I also think about what would happen if my husband died in one of those ways um in one of those ways tears there too i also worry about something terrible happening in our relationship that would bring us to divorce i don't voice these things as we have a wonderful relationship and bringing divorce to the table on such a happy relationship seems absurd boy a therapist would be great to talk to this about um deepest darkest secrets there's something that i've been doing for years and only recently discovered that there is a word for it dermatillomania i can't stop picking at my skin I've done this at least since I was 10 or 11. Those are my earliest memories of it. Now, 31, I realize how much of a problem it is. I realize that even in 100-degree weather, I will probably still wear pants. I prefer long sleeves, no plunging necklines. People ask what happened when they see the scabs or scars. It's hard to explain. I usually tell them about skin allergies and sensitive skin, not entirely a lie, because I do break out in hives with certain laundry detergents. I've gotten a little better with these past two or three years, but I think of all the wounds that I've had for several months because I just won't let them heal. Many of them have been infected, but I don't go to the doctor for it. I don't. I didn't think that it was a problem when I was younger. A lot of teenagers had skin problems and no one asked. I would tell myself, it's not that bad because I'm not cutting myself. Those are the people in bad shape. I've been reading on different ways to stop. 
It's hard. It's an addiction now. Apparently, you become addicted to the chemicals in your body uh, that your body produces when you cut. Uh, I've not even told my therapist about my self-diagnosis. Oh, she is going to therapy. Uh, I'm afraid to admit it to others. Judgment. I try to stick more to just my scalp as my hair covers it. Please share this with your therapist. Please, that's what you're paying them for. Um, sexual fantasies most powerful to you? I find it difficult to have sexual fantasies. I find that birth control helps control my mood swings and the pain and duration of my period. However, it also lowers my sex drive. I honestly can't remember the last sexual fantasy that I've had. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? Being that I haven't had them, I guess that is a secret in itself to say my sex drive has lowered significantly. Do these secrets uh, and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? I feel bad because my husband can just rip off his pants and be ready to go and I just can't work that way. I enjoy the end of it, but during is always more work. So I feel terrible that I'm not a good wife, that he will lose interest in me, not find me attractive, seek elsewhere for these things. I don't. I know he won't, but it doesn't prevent me from worrying. He always tells me how beautiful he thinks I am. Best husband ever. Thank you for sharing that, Jane. And I bet there's a lot of people that feel the same way. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Confused Oreo. She is straight in her 40s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused. Deepest, darkest thoughts. I'm ashamed to admit, even to myself, that I don't like being black. I try to be proud, and I don't or can't deny it, but I do make every effort to act the opposite of how the, quote, typical black person acts. Deepest, darkest secrets. When I am alone, I secretly imagine my life as a white person. I even kept a journal as my alter ego when I was younger. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I never fantasize about someone having sex with me, but have many fantasies of having sex as my alter ego. And most, she is submissive but willing. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? I've never been in a real relationship, so I don't know if it would get to a point where I'd feel comfortable telling my secrets. Uh, Do these generate any particular feelings? I am ashamed and sad and frustrated. I feel lonely and disconnected from my family and friends. I feel I never developed my own personality because I was too busy trying not to be like the people around me. I mimicked what I saw in TV, but because that changed so much, that part of me isn't even consistent. Thank you so much for sharing that. that must be a hard thing to um, to look at and to, and to talk about, but um, send in some love your way. This is uh, Shame and Secrets, filled out by a woman who calls herself Steph. She is straight in her 30s, was raised in a stable and safe environment, never been sexually abused, deepest, darkest thoughts. I have wanted to kill myself for as long as I can remember. Not that I will. Quote, suicide splatters grief on everyone around you, unquote, is what I have to remind myself often. Deepest, darkest secrets. I often shoplift little things, magazines, lip gloss, pencils, stupid stuff. I lie a lot, or I used to. I'm getting better, or maybe just more self-aware of it. I've never had a relationship with a man, and I'm 37. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. My biggest sexual fantasy involves breastfeeding a man and being in an adult nursing relationship. I think that it is all about the intimacy of the act. It is not a mommy-baby thing, but a true adult breastfeeding relationship. I also have a lot of fantasies about pregnancy. It is all uh, similar as it relates back to the intimacy slash nurturing slash love. 
Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? I've told people online that I have this. There are men that want this as well. I hope that one day, uh, and had thought that if I, and hopefully if I do get pregnant with someone, it will be a part of that time in our relationship. There's a couple of typos in there. Um, I think you understood what I, what I was reading. Uh, do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? I used to be disgusted with myself. Now I know that I am obviously so craving intimacy and love that it is manifesting itself in this way and that I'm really craving touch and nurturing someone that I love. I feel sad for myself actually, sad that I just crave human touch in any capacity, that I would get anything to have someone just want to spend time touching me because they love me and want to be with me. This, of course, leads to the spiral of negative thoughts of disgust and why don't I have someone who wants that, but that is the pleasure and joy of mental illness, at least mine. Oh, thank you so much for that. And you shouldn't feel any shame. I think that shows that you really have a beautiful, beautiful spirit that wants to connect with people. Wear it proudly. Um... This is from a rarely taken survey uh, called the Vacation Arguments uh, Survey and uh, filled out by Pendleton, who is, uh, she's in her 60s, or she's 60. She writes, my best friend and I, and it's called the Vacation Arguments. I said that already. Oh, my dog got pissed that I said that twice. Uh, She writes, my best friend and I drove her daughter from Houston to Boulder. It had been a stressful trip because her daughter's car wasn't great and loaded with all of her stuff. We had to drive up through Kansas and over instead of the faster way through Rattan Pass. Uh, By the time we got to Boulder, we were all on edge. We went to the grocery store, and as her daughter walked off to get other things, my friend and I got into the biggest fight of my life over mayonnaise or Miracle Whip. I'd put a little jar of mayonnaise in the cart, and she took it out and replaced it with a little jar of Miracle Whip. Then I took that out and put the mayonnaise back. We started yelling at each other. We must have gotten pretty loud because her daughter came back and said she could hear us on the other side of the Safeway. It was ridiculous. And now we laugh about it, but at the time, we were furious. I love that. love a good vacation argument. This is from, oh, can you hear my stomach? This is from the Shame and Secret Survey. Filled out by a woman who calls herself AO, AYO. She is um, bisexual in her 20s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Men have taken advantage of me when I was drunk and blacked out. Yeah, that's rape. That's, that's not a gray area. Um, when you're blacked out and somebody, or you're unable to make a clear decision on your own and somebody has sex with you that is rape um deepest and i hope you go talk to somebody about that um deepest darkest thoughts i wish i was 90 pounds and just bones i think about food constantly but yet i let myself eat i am always hungry and feel like a horrible pig i hate my personality and think i'm a bland waste of space i hate myself daily Deepest, darkest secrets. I binge and purge four to five times a week and no one knows. I waste a lot of money on it. I do it whenever I can and I can't seem to stop. My partner wonders why I don't ever have money and even buys me food when he goes out of town and yet I continue to do this. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I wish my partner would fuck me harder, but he doesn't. I wish he would just take control and hold my wrists. This is a fantasy. I would also like to have a threesome, but wouldn't want my male partner to fuck the women, just me. Um, Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? I have when I've been drinking. 
Uh, do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings? I think they are relatively normal. Thank you for sharing that. And I really encourage you to give weight to that stuff that happened to you when you were blacked out. Sending you a big hug. This is um, Shame and Secret Survey filled out by a woman who calls her. We have a lot of women in this uh, in this survey. Um, filled out by a woman who calls herself Cece. Uh, she is straight in her 20s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Deepest, darkest thoughts, leaving my husband, going crazy and having lots of sex with both men and women, going on a drinking and drug binge even though I don't use drugs and never really have. Deepest, darkest secrets, I cheated on my husband with an old friend before I got pregnant last year. We were going through infertility treatments at the time and eventually had to do in vitro, so I know the babies are his. However, it is so awful and disgusting that I did that to him when we were trying to make a family. I guess I knew he would be an amazing father, and he is, but I am often bored in the relationship. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Having sex with a woman, uh, this one's a little graphic, but I'm going to read it anyway. Having sex with a woman, eating her out, and having her eat me out, having her stick things in my butt, and perhaps using a strap-on to fuck me until I come so hard that I scream. That wasn't that graphic. I don't know why I'm apologizing. It's fucking podcasting and say whatever I want. Um... But fuck, but fuck, but fuck. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend your fantasies? You know what? I think I think because I'm afraid you guys are going to think I'm a perv when I read some of this stuff. That's really the deep down thing underneath. As I'm afraid, I'm afraid of being judged. Um, would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? No, I am typically very vanilla and straight, and I think people would be shocked and disgusted. Um, do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? Shame and embarrassment. I can't believe I have cheated on the man who loves me and who I love because I'm a nympho, apparently. I can't believe I am such a sex fiend. I am ashamed. Well, just know that the victims of sexual abuse um, often act out sexually. And I think a mental health professional can help guide you on that difficult course of, uh, of healing. Um... This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Canyon Arrow. He is uh, straight in his 30s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. When I was seven or eight, a girl my age asked me to touch her vagina and butthole. Then said uh, it was my turn to get naked, and when I said I didn't want to, she threatened to tell my parents. She then grabbed and kissed my penis and then took her shorts off and rubbed her pussy on my penis. Seems like stupid kid stuff, but kind of gave me, uh, gave me a lot of anxiety about sex stuff since I didn't know what the hell was going on at the time. Uh, deepest, darkest thoughts. I hate myself and often wish I was just dead. I even think about becoming a drug-using gay escort so I could really, really hate myself. Not that gay is bad, but just forcing myself to have sex I don't even want just so I can feel like, I don't know, ultimate hatred of myself. Deepest, darkest secrets. I let a dog lick my asshole while I jerked off. It felt awesome. By the way, if this guy ever disappeared without a trace, there's a pretty good chance that dog would be able to find him. <laughs> you really, you don't get a stronger scent than licking somebody's butthole directly. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful. To, oh, and that was it. He, he didn't fill, fill out the rest of the survey, but send in your big hug, buddy. Um... 
This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself B.N. Frank. He is, oh, I get it, B.N. Frank. I didn't get that the first time I read it. Uh, he is straight in his 30s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused. Uh, and then he writes, I don't know if anything uh, happened, but I think maybe it did. Deepest, darkest thoughts, cheating on my wife. Uh, deepest, darkest secrets, when I was young, like nine, I made my sister suck my dick. I don't know why. It was not a sexual thing. I also tried to fuck my cousin in his ass when we were young teens. Make, makes me think something happened to me. It does, it does sound to me. Um, and you know, I'm a mental, mental health professional because I cook chicken on TBS. Um, I wish I would have resisted that urge to put myself down. And now I wish I would have resisted, resisted the urge to call attention to it. Uh, the sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. They wax and wane. Sometimes it's just scenarios with my wife. Other times I want to watch a woman get fucked by an animal. Twisted, I know. Other times I would like to double team a woman and fuck her ass while someone else fucks her in the cunt. Um, did these generate any... Oh, no. Uh, would you ever consider telling a partner? No. I would hate to be looked at differently and would not want to scare them. Uh, does that generate any feelings? Uh, shame and guilt. Sending you a big, big hug, buddy. And uh, talking with the therapist might help. Or getting into a support group might help some of those memories surface. Although I've been warned sometimes, too, by people. Um, I interviewed Emily Gordon a second time, and she said that there is a certain danger uh, with certain types of therapists that can kind of um, create false memories in people. But I, I kind of hate the idea of that because anything that feels like a hurdle to people processing real memories, um, I don't know. Anyway, this uh, this next uh, survey was filled out by a guy named Paul. Uh, he is straight in his 40s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts, um, but he doesn't uh, specify. Deepest, darkest thoughts? I have fantasies of violence and death, not just my own, but the people around me. I'm sure that if it were a little bit, if I were a little bit smarter, with the right education and resources, I would be the guy who creates a deadly virus that kills 90% of the people on the earth. Since I'm not that guy, I wonder if maybe I'll be that other guy who drives his car into a crowd or buys a gun just to shoot up a mall. Basically, I want to kill myself, but take out as many people as I can, including my friends and family. And I warned you guys that some of these are, are pretty pretty dark. There's I think there's about four or five left. Um, Deepest, darkest secrets, my relationship with my daughter is a disaster. I'm pretty sure she hates me and wants no contact with me, and I deserve it. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Not only do I need to be in control, I want to humiliate and hurt a woman to the point of sexual torture. I know that deep down inside I've been hurt by too many women, so I want to make them feel my pain. This makes me afraid to have relationships because I know I only... Um, I will only harm my partner because of what people have done to me in the past um, and end up hurting myself more. Uh, would you ever consider telling a partner? Some of my more harmless fantasies, such as humiliation, can be carried out in a safe way with the right partner, but I am genuinely afraid of my more violent ones. I have to keep these to myself to protect anyone I care about who might actually be willing to explore them. 
Uh, does this generate any feelings towards yourself? I know that I am a sick person and need help, but either too proud or too ashamed to seek it out. Well, my hope for you is that you can put your pride or your fear aside and go get help because you deserve it. You, de- you deserve to feel better. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself, um, well, uh, she she writes female, but she says, I don't really identify with gender in the tra- traditional sense, though physically I am female. Um, she is asexual, um, and she is 18 years old. About her asexuality, she writes, I may be a romantic ase- asexual. I'm very confused about my sexuality. Um Physically touching a man below the belt makes me feel sick. I can't tell if I'm just not ready or if I will always feel this way. I have physical and emotional attraction to girls, but I've never been in a romantic relationship with one. Uh, if touching a man below the belt makes you feel sick, I think that's a that's a really, really um, big red flag that you should talk to to somebody about and don't do it. If it if it's making you feel sick, don't let anybody make you feel like you should be feeling anything else. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Many things have happened while I've been drunk. The majority of my sexual experience, I don't know whether I actually wanted to do these things or I only did because I was drunk. Deepest, darkest thoughts. Sometimes I think I don't have any empathy for anyone at all, that my emotions don't really exist. They are just behaviors I've picked up through monkey see, monkey do. Sometimes I feel nothing at all, and other times I feel too much. But my emotions, at times, completely shut off, and I honestly couldn't give a shit about any of my, quote, close friends or family members. Um, And by the way, this strikes me as just straight-up textbook sexual abuse coping skills, you know, um, feeling numb, blaming yourself, um, trying to be something that, that doesn't feel right to you. Um, deepest, darkest secrets. Uh, one of the only people that knew the extent of my eating disorder committed suicide recently. I see her death as an omen because although her problems were much more extreme than mine are, eating disorder as well, heroin addiction, sexual abuse, extreme self-harming, she identified a lot with the way I told her I felt and what I was struggling with. I feel like she's the symbol of my future if I do not change my ways. Um, oh, and uh, she had qualified about being raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. My parents got divorced when I was 11. Before my dad moved out, I'd hear them fighting verbally, but I don't know of any physical abuse. Going back and forth between my parents' houses for my childhood made me feel very unstable. I got into fights with my father a lot in my youth due to his overprotectiveness. My mother always let me do what I want. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm very masochistic and extremely submissive. I like being choked, hit, bruised, bitten, blood being drawn, completely manhandled and overpowered, but sex itself is not interesting to me. Just this play. Would you ever consider telling a partner? Pretty much everyone knows. I'm open about these things because it's very simple to say I'm masochistic. My friends either find it funny or quirky or they have similar fantasies themselves. Do these generate any particular feelings? It's very difficult to have these fantasies as someone who self-harms as well because I fear I'm, I'm subconsciously just trying to hurt myself, but it's validated in my mind since it's another person, but I'm not ashamed of it at all. When people get uncomfortable on the topic, I just find it funny to give them that shock value. 
Well, Coffee Bird, I'm sending you a big hug. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, L-I-D-E-R-C. Um, this is the Shame and Secret survey. He is uh, asexual. Uh, he writes, I'm not interested in sex with anyone anymore. He's in his 30s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Deepest, darkest thoughts, I'm a monster. I'm evil incarnate. If people knew the real me, they would spit on me. They would go out of their way to hurt me. I never will have or deserve a normal life. Deepest, darkest secrets. I was introduced to sex around five to six years old. Around age nine, I started inappropriately touching other kids. A few years later, my mom discovered I was inappropriately touching my younger sister. When I saw the expression of horror and revulsion on my mom's face, I realized for the first time the full impact of what I had done, that I had crossed a line that could never be uncrossed. I will never forgive myself for what I have done. Oh, buddy. Please forgive yourself. Please forgive yourself. You are putting yourself into an unnecessary prison for not forgiving yourself for something that you had done as a child. You know, even people who have done stuff as adults, you know, in addition to making amends for what they've done, they need to forgive themselves eventually. You know, there's a difference between self-reflection and and just beating yourself up. Um you know, beating ourselves up is, is in many ways selfish because it's just a way to, to obsess about ourselves and still cut the world and keep them at bay. But I know it's it's so tempting when, when we hate ourselves to, you know, to get out of that mindset. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I don't remember ever having any powerful sex fantasies. I just wanted sex. Um, would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? He writes, see above. Um, oh, yeah, I guess because he doesn't have any. Uh, do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? Nothing matters. Life, death, getting fucked up, friends, family. I just don't care about anything anymore. I am dead on the inside, and someday the outside will match. The world will go on with one less evil in it. Oh, buddy, you are so hard on yourself. I encourage you to join the forum and feel some love there because you will be greeted with open arms in the forum. You are lovable. You are lovable. And you are not evil. Um, and we don't have to feel numb for the rest of our lives. Uh, this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself another ex-kid. He is bisexual, 18, was raised in a stable and safe environment, was the victim of sexual abuse, and reported it. Deepest, darkest thoughts. If I ever get the chance to, I'm going to kill the men who raped me, and their deaths won't be quick either. They need to suffer for ruining my life. On a related note, I feel like I should have been born a woman, but I don't know if I've always felt this way, or if being raped has something to do with it. Now, though, I really wish that I didn't have a penis or a vagina so no one would make sexual advances towards me. Basically, I'm a fucking basket case. Deepest, darkest secrets. I sexually assaulted my younger siblings at the same time I was being sexually assaulted by my uncle. This all happened from the time that I was 11 to 13. I molested them, kissed them, and I absolutely 
hate myself so much for doing this to them. My brother and sister both show signs of depression, so I'm scared that I really fuck them up. As a result of that self-hatred, I starve myself. When I eat, I feel like a failure because I always said that I was going to kill myself by the time I was 18, and I haven't done it yet. I couldn't even get that right. Well, that's not right, killing yourself. That's not a, that's not an accomplishment. You know, I know I'm, I'm getting a little soapboxy here, but go talk to somebody, man. You deserve it. You should not be hating yourself. You know, did, did you hurt people? Yeah, you probably did, but we've all hurt people in some way or another. And part of life is trying to make amends if possible, getting up, dusting ourselves off, forgiving ourselves. And trying to be a better person from any insight we may have gained from from that. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Um, I have two main fantasies. Both involve me being a woman. In one, I'm being gang raped by a group of strangers. Not just a few men, but 50 or 100. I want to be abused and mutilated. I want these men to completely destroy my body and to toss me off to the side to die. And the other, I'm a happy woman who would who never was assaulted and who is capable of loving other people. In this dream, my lover, be it male or female, makes me feel like I'm on top of the world. They actually love me. Oh, that almost brings tears to my eyes. That's so... You clearly have such a beautiful spirit inside you that is fighting. It is fighting to not let the darkness take you down. And um, find, find some light in the world to connect to please. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend, I would never tell anyone these dreams. They make me seem like a weak fucking freak. I can't let anyone in my head. Besides, I'm from the deep south where everyone expects the man to be some type of gruff macho man, so I can never admit that I want to be a woman. Well, you can in the forum. Go there. There's lots of places you can. Um, maybe not in the town that you live in, but... Um, Go sign up for the form and get some love there. Uh, do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? Complete and total self-hatred and self-loathing. I'm the absolute worst person to have ever walked the face of the earth. So I might as well ruin myself while I'm here. God, it just... And then he writes uh, about any comments to make the podcast better. Uh, I wouldn't change anything. Paul, don't be afraid to fuck up. Well, right back at you. You know? Right back at you. Why why do we why can we accept other people's mistakes but we we can't that's a $64,000 question or an older reference if there is one uh this is filled out by a um these last two are pretty dark um this was filled out by Mary who is uh, bisexual in her 20s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment, uh, was sexually abused and never reported it. Uh, deepest, darkest thoughts. When I see people on the street who look nice, I just want them to hug me and hold me and tell me that everything will be all right. Oh my God, I want to hug you. I just want to fucking hug you. And I know that feeling. I know that feeling. Especially like when I see a woman who seems like she would have been the mom that I wish I'd had. Uh, deepest, darkest secrets. 
The deepest and darkest that happened to me is that as a child, I became a victim in a child pornography network that my father ran. Um, I don't think English is her first language, so I'm just going to read it how she she wrote it. Um, they made pictures and movies of me and distributed that material worldwide while I had sex uh, and pleasured man and woman. I had sex with dozen of man from when I was little and I was prostituted as a child by my father. It happened from when I was a baby until I was 14. I eventually managed to get away from it. Uh, then my perspective of man and intimacy uh, were so messed up that I thought that violence and sex were almost the same. So I ended up in a lot of violent BDSM relationships and where I was abused again. My most dark secret is that I got pregnant at the age of 11 because of the ongoing abuse and prostitution and I had a miscarriage without anyone knowing about it. I never told that to anyone. Oh boy, this one just, it just takes my breath away. It just takes my fucking breath away. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. My most powerful sexual fantasy is about me being lay, about me laying naked in a huge bed while being surrounded by other older men. They don't touch me or each other, but they just look each other in the eyes while masturbating and telling me how good I look. Then I choose the one I like the best while penetrating him, while there is another man behind me and another one in front of me, so I feel hugged and nurtured. We ever consider telling a partner or close friend, if I have a partner who I feel emotionally intimate with, I would share it with my partner. Um, do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings? My deepest secrets generate the feeling that I have no right to be, to have thoughts or emotions. I feel there is no place for me on earth. I always feel different than others and disconnected. I feel like a slut often and damaged good, so I have sex with random men who want nothing more than just good sex. Whatever the biggest hug is, we've kept one in a separate room that hasn't the, the seal hasn't been broken on this special hug and we're breaking it out for you. And there's got to be a, a survivors group for um you know, if there isn't one yet for, I know there are sexual abuse survivors group and you should, you should go to, um, rain.org, R-A-I-N-N.org and check that out. And, um, I'm sure they have stuff specifically for people who've been sexually abused, but especially for people who have experienced things as intense as what you, what you went through. Um, uh, this last one is, and we've got a couple of happy moments to to end it with after this. Um, filled up by a woman who calls herself lost in California. She is straight in her 40s, um, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. Um, deepest, darkest thoughts. I wish I was not broken. I wish my life hadn't been shattered by a rapist with a gun who decided I was the one to take on a journey into his insanity and terror. My life was shattered to the core by a madman who has left me a shell of a person. On the outside, I appear fine and strong, but on the inside, I am a shattered, lost soul. Deepest, darkest secrets. After I was kidnapped by a gunman, I was taken on a journey into hell, raped, and watched him dig a hole to bury me in. When you think of the act of rape, someone has entered your body and deposited themselves in you like a human toilet. I felt like it then, 
Um, I felt like it then was inside me, flowing through my body, traveling in my bloodstream, bloodstream into every piece of my insides, uh, which was supposed to be just mine. Oh, that breaks my fucking heart. I felt as if it had reached my brain and even my thoughts were invaded by him. He knew what I was thinking and I long, no longer even had private thoughts. I felt like the only way to get rid of him was to cut myself open and bleed out. I was traumatized beyond belief, but I still had enough of my soul left to know that was not the right thing. Yet that sick, twisted feeling of bleeding out just to rid myself of him seemed to be the only way to get rid of him, to get him out of me. Here I sit 25 years later and still feel like not even my thoughts and feelings are mine alone. And this is why I am lost and shattered and no one truly knows how hard it is to live when you are broken and every day is a struggle to try to appear normal. P.S. Your podcast helps me so much to know I am not alone in my struggles and that someone understands. It's sad to say, but your listeners and you are the only people in my life that help me make sense of the issues I have and even have the ability to laugh at the way things are. The last time I drove by the place where I was abducted, I looked at my friend who knew we were at that location and had a worried look on her face, thinking that I would be upset. And instead of me getting panicked, I pointed to the place and said, Hey, you want to go get laid? Your podcast helps me to find the humor and all the crap that has shattered me so I can begin to accept it and continue struggling just to try to appear, quote, normal. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you, uh, as strange as it sounds because of being raped, the only sexual fantasies that I would probably like uh, would be rough sex. The thought of sensual loving sex leaves me numb and bored. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? No, because it would make me sound like a mental case. No one knows how numb I am to any normal sex because of my experience, and to say that you have weird sexual things is not something I want to tell anyone. Does that generate any feelings towards yourself? It makes me feel like a fucked up mess. Well, I know you know I'm going to say this, but you're not a fucked up mess. You have a beautiful, resilient soul, and I'm really... I'm really touched to have listeners that fill out these surveys as deeply and as honestly as you guys do. It it brings so much meaning to my life to connect to you on such a deep level. It's um I don't know, I just run out of words sometimes. This is a happy moment filled out by those last two really got to me. Wow. This was filled out by um, a guy who calls himself I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm going to spell it. J-O-N-A-S K-I-Z-I it looks like. The print's very small. and I'm 100 years old. Um Share a happy moment. About a month ago, I told my wife my deepest shameful secrets, and she told me that it wasn't surprising considering my childhood. She told me that she would love me no matter what, and it was the first time in my life I felt unconditional love. That's so beautiful. I didn't expect to get this... um, 
It's funny, I'd read these already. But for some reason, reading these... This is a happy moment filled out by Jess. And she writes, My best friend is a year older than me, so she was also always a grade ahead of me. We are extremely close. Even now, we talk every day. On my last day of my junior year of high school, after our last class, I walked her to her car. We held hands while we walked and cried a little. I remember being scared because it felt like everything was changing, but at the same time, I felt so close to her. I think it was at that moment I knew we'd always be together. So even though, even through the tears, I was euphoric, it turns out she felt the same way. Even now, four years later, we've managed to talk daily, even though we have a time zone difference between us. Um, time zone of between three and 14 hours at any given time. That's beautiful. Well, I hope if you're listening, I hope I didn't scare you away with the darkness of the of the surveys, but I know for many of you, myself included, when you're in a dark place, that that darkness can kind of be a light almost and um i hope i hope you've been reminded that you're not alone um and i i i hope you get help those of you that are that are feeling stuck i really do um don't be afraid take that jump not the not the bridge jump, the good jump, the jump into the therapist's office. Um, hang in there. I know this is a tough time of year. And uh, if you want to take a nap, take a fucking nap. Take care of yourselves. And um, just remember you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.